Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. Feel like you're a job hopper? You're not alone. Turns out job hopping and switching fields are about to become the reality for most of us, says today's HR Chat guest. Joining me on this episode is education and workforce strategist, Dr. Michelle Weiss. Michelle is the author of Long Life Learning, Preparing for Jobs That Don't Even Exist Yet. Her book was awarded the 2021 Philip E. Branson Award for Literature by UPCA, ECA. Uh, the University Professional and Continuing Education Association, that's easy for you to say, Bill, uh, recognising the author and publisher of an outstanding work of continuing higher education literature. Thinker 50 named Michelle as one of their 30 management and leadership thinkers in the world to watch in 2021. And she leads Rise and Design, an advisory service tailored for organisations seeking to design education and workforce strategies that will prepare working age adults for the jobs of today and the jobs of tomorrow, because she's a forward thinker. Hey, Michelle, welcome to the show today. Hey, Phil, it's great to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, okay, let's get let's get into it then. Why don't you start by taking a minute or two and telling our listeners all about yourself? Sure. Um, I've kind of sort of stumbled into the future of education and future of work um, by kind of working for different kinds of stakeholders in this ecosystem. So I've worked for think tanks. I've built innovation labs for universities. I've worked for funders thinking about the future of work. And what I've realized over time is that I can kind of best uh, advise companies and educational institutions from the outside and arm different uh, organizations with different strategies and uh, initiatives and ways of thinking about uh, how we create uh, an environment and infrastructure for more successful careers for people as, as they face longer work lives. Wonderful. Thank you very much. So you lead Rise and Design, an advisory service tailored for organizations seeking design, education, and workforce strategies that will prepare working age adults for the jobs of today and tomorrow. Tell me more about the mission there. Yeah, it's really about a positive vision for the future. I was really privileged to work with the late Clayton Christensen on the theories of disruptive innovation and wrote a book with him. Um, and it really uh, shaped my view of how we position ourselves for the future. Uh, it's not kind of a, a, we don't need to have this sort of sense of impending doom, but there are ways of building toward that future. Um, sometimes it's creating parallel tracks of efforts and fostering different kinds of growth units on the side as an organization tries to contend with the, with the changes in the in the trajectory of, of, of their organization. And so this is really, uh, kind of the work that we do is, uh, is, is, is do a lot of research and insights work, uh, to help organizations think about how they think about a longer, more turbulent work life for employees and for their learners. Harbinger Systems delivers product engineering solutions for software product companies helping them build innovative products for the digital age. We help our partners achieve competitive advantage through cost optimization, operational efficiency, 
customer centricity, and product leadership. Learn more at harbinger-systems.com. Uh, and you talk about how the future of work equals the future of education, of course. Can you can you double down on that? Can you explain to our listeners what you mean by that? Yeah, it really comes down to uh, a different mental model of thinking about the future of work. Like many other people, I've been trying to figure out how we think about automation, the growing impact of automation and machine learning and deep learning. And I realized over time that so many people were obsessed with statistics and the number of jobs that we might think about that that might become obsolete over time. And what I realized is that kind of analysis really leads to a sense of paralysis. Uh, it's it's hard to know what to do when suddenly someone says, oh, maybe there are 36 million jobs at risk in the U.S. as an example. Um, and so what I realized is that the more helpful mental model was to think about uh, what different kinds of experts on aging and longevity were talking about as they suggested that our lives are just getting longer, right? We've gotten better at delaying death. Uh, with you know the way that we control diseases, the way we've advanced medicine, uh, we are actually living longer than uh, than ever before. We're adding on uh, months to our lifespan every single year, and what that helps us do is when we start to stretch out our lifespans, we inevitably start to contend with this idea of a longer work life. And as we think about a longer work life, it suddenly becomes hard to think about, to reconcile that most of our learning happens on the front end of that work life. And so the idea is that as we think about a longer work life that is also shaped by exponential advancements in technology and and how technology is just reshaping the nature of work, we're going to have to get used to this idea and switch our mindset out of this idea that, you know, we can kind of learn on the front end, earn in the middle, and maybe retire on the on the far end. Instead, it's going to be this constant cycle of learning and earning or doing both at the same time. And that's a real that's a real big shift to think about um, to think about this. But the the idea of continuous learning is basically conflating these two ideas of the future of education and future of work. They're not separate. They're, they're the same thing for in order to, you know, to, to stay competitive in that future of work, we're going to have to continuously reskill and upskill. The days of matching web keyword searches with resumes and job descriptions is over. It's all about cultural fit. Workzinga empowers job seekers looking for jobs and employers looking for new hires to have thoughtful and insightful conversations, making the recruiting process more successful for both sides. Learn more at workzinga.com. Okay, and are those the key messages in your book, uh, Lifelong Learning, or or are there other areas that you, you delve into? Perhaps tell us a bit more about those, those key learning outcomes from your book. Yeah, so that's where the book begins. Uh, and then it starts to think about okay, well, if we do have to potentially continuously reskill or upskill over that longer work life, where are we going to go? What does that what what does that lifelong learning infrastructure look like? And this is where things get kind of muddled and stuck because I think we 
we talk a lot about lifelong learning and yet there's not a lot of action and investment around what that architecture looks like. Because when you actually look at our systems and uh, the way that our education systems and organizations and workforce training is is set up, it's very much still geared toward that younger learner, 18 to 24-year-old learners or folks who already have a college degree. And so what I do in my book is I actually focus very specifically on a learner population that is already being left behind by the present state of work. And that is the folks who uh, have a high school degree, maybe a little bit of college, uh, but who are not thriving in the labor market. They're not earning a living wage and trying to understand what are the pain points that these learners, these working learners are facing. Uh, Because if we begin to solve for those pain points and barriers, we may be able to start to construct a better functioning and a healthier learning ecosystem for the future that we will all have to rely on. And it's really this larger concept of curb cut effects, right? If you cut into the curb, you're helping more than the folks who may not be able-bodied enough to, you know, to cross the to cross that uh, particular barrier. Uh, but it opens it up for everyone if we think about kind of basic universal design. And so the idea is to sort of highlight very specifically the recurring challenges that emerge for. Uh, in my in in the case of this book, the 41 million Americans who are already being left behind, and you realize that if you start to build a better ecosystem around stronger career navigation, better wraparound support services, more targeted educational opportunities, and make those uh, learning opportunities integrated into your daily work life, as well as thinking about transparent hiring practices. Those five areas kind of are the areas that keep coming up from folks challenged by our current um, systems and architecture. And if we solve for that and we think about collaborating in new ways and building new coalitions of stakeholders uh, towards these five areas, we can begin to knit together that that uh, healthier ecosystem. Okay, wonderful. Now then, you suggest that employers will have to begin viewing themselves as not just talent consumers, Michelle, but talent creators. What do you mean by that? For a very long time, uh, more than uh, four decades now, we have been seriously disinvesting from training our existing workforce. Uh, In the book, I talk about how um, uh, really over you know, over a a series of decades, you see this constant retreat and the dwindling of hours committed to to training new employees and to the point where one survey shows that 44% of employers offer zero upskilling opportunities for their current employees. And I think this idea of constantly seeking out external talent and recruiting precisely that experience and talent that you're you're asking for in a job posting has become sort of the 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 easy retreat for most employers that we buy, not build talent. And in the future, as we're already seeing with this kind of tight labor market, is um, 
is we're going to have to think about looking internally, trying to assess who we have within, how can we mold that talent for the emerging jobs of the future, and how do we begin to get a better understanding of the skills that our people have at a very granular level so that we can begin to understand how they are actually maybe 80% of the way there towards these different jobs that we're imagining for for the future in our strategic plans for three or five years out from now. And that's really um, that's really something that we need to, to, to begin working on deliberately from within uh, our organizations. What advice, Michelle, would you give to leaders and to HR managers about how to shape an effective L&D program that supports worker retention, because that, that's a huge issue at the moment, um, and, and of course their advancement? First, I would just encourage uh, HR and talent managers to really investigate whether there's any merit to this idea that if you invest in your people, they will leave. I think this is one of the most longstanding myths, and there's actually no data to support it, that if you actually build up your existing talent, that they will leave for your competitors. And I think the actual opposite is true from the folks that are leading the way in trying to upskill their existing talent. They're noticing uh, lowered rates of churn, higher higher retention rates, uh, and higher, a higher sense of uh, loyalty from their people. And I think the other piece of this is as we think about learning and development and training and development from within, there are really exciting advancements in artificial intelligence and and different platforms that are emerging that help workers and teams really begin to surface the skill sets of their people. I think if you actually try to think about who you have on your teams, we have a good sense of the titles that they hold and sort of broad skill sets that they may have, but we may not actually know the kinds of hidden skills they have from informal learning and work experiences. And these different kinds of AI platforms are helping to surface some of those competencies to help build fuller profiles of employees and learners to be able to say, these people actually have maybe five or six pathways ahead of them that they may not even imagine for themselves. And the company may not even be able to to intuit from just uh, a job title. And it begins to help help everyone understand what the gaps are that the employee may need to fill in order to move in that direction of a more promising pathway. And then it begins to give you much more concrete ideas of the kinds of learning experiences that the person may need to um, uh, move towards or select for the future in order to fill those skills gaps. So that's one, one really exciting activity is that we can actually begin to rely on technology to enable us for the future. And then I would say that the the most important thing here is it's not enough to just sort of highlight someone's skills gaps. We need to actually give them an opportunity to fill those gaps. And it can't just be on their own time. I think we have kind of for far too long put the onus of reskilling and upskilling on individuals and families uh, on their own. And really, we need to begin to carve out time. It could be 30 minutes in a work day or 30 minutes a week or an hour a week but somehow we need to build in learning into the flow of work. It cannot be the expectation that we always expect people to upskill outside of work. There are just too many responsibilities 
that most people are juggling in order to to prepare themselves for this uncertain world of work ahead. And this is where I think employers can really take on some more of the onus here and uh, and begin to, to assess their own talent gold and build uh, build them for the future. And also it's uh, it's pretty important to uh, to candidate attraction, right? Uh, if, if if a potential employer is able to demonstrate that they do invest in um, in the development of their people, um, e- even in those skills that perhaps are not directly relevant to to positions at the company, but um, are good for that person's per- personal and career development, um, then that's going to be much more attractive to candidates. But anyway, that's a conversation for another time. We'll just have to get you back on the show. Um, we're about to wrap up, Michelle, already. But before we before we do, how can our listeners connect with and learn more about you? Sure, they can always go to riseanddesign.io uh, and they can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Michelle Weiss, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thanks so much, Bill. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media.